0: Okay, let's turn to God's word. Since the law has only a shadow of the good things to come and not the reality itself of those things, it can never perfect the worshippers by the same sacrifices they continually offer year after year. Otherwise, wouldn't they have stopped being offered since the worshippers purified once and for all would no longer have any consciousness of sins? But in the sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins year after year, for it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Therefore, as he was coming into the world, he said, you did not desire sacrifice and offering, but you prepared a body for me. You did not delight in whole burnt offerings and sin offerings. Then I said, see, it is written about me in the scroll. I have come to do your will, God. After he says above, You did not desire or delight in sacrifices and offerings, whole burnt offerings and sin offerings, which are offered according to the law. He then says, see, I have come to do your will. He takes away the first to establish the second. By this will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all time. Every priest stands day after day, ministering and offering the same sacrifices time after time, which can never take away sins. But this man after offering one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down at the right hand of God. He is now waiting until his enemies are made his footstool, for by one offering he is perfected forever those who are sanctified. The Holy Spirit also testifies to us about this. For after, he says, this is the covenant I will make with them after those days. The Lord says, I will put my laws on their hearts and write them on their minds, and I will never again remember their sins and their lawless acts. Now, where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer an offering for sin. Amen. Amen. Well, I do keep that open in front of you. We're going to spend the next few minutes looking into that. Uh, But before I do, I want to tell you a little story about my dad. Uh, My dad loves it when I include him on these things. So when he watches this back, he's going to thank me. In fact, I'm going to his house after this. So um, I'm I'm hoping he only watches this after. Um, But... (laughs) I remember when I was a child uh, one night I woke up uh, and I heard some frantic shouting coming from upstairs uh, shortly followed by the tap running lots of spitting going on so I went into the bathroom uh, heard this fuss there was my dad cleaning his teeth like mad swilling mouthwash like it had gone out of fashion. I asked him what was wrong, what was going on, and he pointed at a toothbrush. I said, it's that. I said, what's the problem? He said, i clean my teeth with that. Now, it's just a toothbrush, so I didn't really understand the problem. Uh, Then he told me, that's the toothbrush I keep in here to clean the toilet. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, it is. (laughs) Now, the problem was... He was using a tool for a job, wasn't he, that might appear useful for that particular job, but it wasn't actually made for that job. Now, that is the sort of thing that can end up with those kinds of quite unpleasant mix ups. Uh, And that's a little bit like we get with our passage this morning. Uh, The Hebrew believers reckon that the sacrificial system was designed to do one particular thing. But they are misusing it a little bit like my dad was misusing that toothbrush. And our passage wants to show them this morning, but also the Hebrew believers Paul is writing to, and also us this morning, that the sacrificial system was never meant to do what they think it did. They're missing out on something better. And they may end up with some pretty unpleasant mix-ups of their own if they don't wake up to it. And so, uh, just a bit of context on where we're at, chapter 9 has offered us a contrast between Old Covenant ministry and New Covenant ministry. So chapter 9, verses 1 to 14, was all about access to God. So the writer shows us there wasn't really access to God for most Jewish believers under the Old Covenant. But in Christ, we have 24-7 access to God. And then in the second half of chapter 9, it spoke about the differences between the temple and heaven. The temple had to be purified with animal blood. Uh, But as Jesus has gone into a better place, it required a better sacrifice for purification. And the point in chapter 9 is that Jesus has entered that better place through his better sacrifice that he has offered once and for all. And the same idea continues into our passage this morning. The writer is showing us how Jesus has offered the perfect sacrifice for sin. Uh, And there are four big ideas I think our passage wants to tell us this morning. Firstly, we find favour with God only in Jesus. Secondly, we rest in Christ from law keeping. Thirdly, we trust in Jesus' effective And completed work. And fourthly, we know full forgiveness in Christ. So four things this has to say to us this morning. So firstly, find favour with God only in Jesus. So if you look with me in verses 1 to 4, they tell us about the ineffectiveness of the old covenant sacrifices. So verse 1 tells us that the sacrificial system was a shadow of the reality to come. Because it was just a picture of what God was going to do, it's obvious enough that those sacrifices couldn't perfect anybody of themselves. And that, in verse 2, must be true because the high priest kept offering those sacrifices year after year. But if the sacrifices perfected anybody, the high priest wouldn't need to keep offering them. They would have already been perfected. So if the animal sacrifices had paid for sin once and for all, the people wouldn't need to keep offering animal sacrifices. You know, the sin would have been fully and finally dealt with the first time they made a sacrifice if that had actually worked. Now, rather than paying for sin, verse three tells us the repeated sacrifices were an inbuilt feature of the system. Those sacrifices were never meant to pay for sin. They were meant to be a reminder to the people that they are sinners. Right, the sacrifices didn't pay for sin. They were a reminder to the people that they were sinners. You know, verse 4 really just says, you know, come on, it's obvious that the blood of a bull or a goat Cannot pay for the infinite offence of your sin before a holy God. Just think about it. Can't do anything. If those sacrifices obviously can't pay for your sin. Then they must have been commanded by God for a totally different reason. And the writer then tells us what that reason is. The sacrifices don't pay for sin. They remind the people every year that they are in need of God's grace and mercy. The sacrifices didn't pay for the sin, they reminded the people they are sinners who need God's grace and mercy. Now, from our standpoint, this side of the cross, slaughtering a goat doesn't seem very likely to get me into heaven, does it? I don't think any of you are sitting there thinking, if I just go out and kill a cow, I'll be fine. Yeah. (laughs) Most of us aren't thinking that, <laughs> even if Liv is. <laughs> but the reason we think that is because that's not our background or culture, isn't it? It's easy to think, of course God isn't going to forgive my sin because I sacrificed a goat, because that sounds silly to us, because that isn't our culture. But we can fall into thinking God will do things for us, and God will treat us differently because we did specific things for him don't we if we think we prayed or we read our bible or we did some evangelism or i discipled somebody or i served in the church in some way now you might turn around at that point and go oh yeah but god commands me to do those things jesus asked me to do those things and he does you're right but god asked the jewish people to do the sacrifices too didn't he you know but we think they're silly to believe that will sort out their sin but we think we're sensible to maybe rely on those other things. You know, we're not any better than them in that sense, are we? We can rely on stuff that we shouldn't really be relying on. And the point for these Hebrew believers is exactly the same point for us. You know, none of us are any better than the other. We all need to refocus on Jesus. Jesus. If we're looking to anything other than Jesus to sort out our sin, it's going to be ineffective. Whether it's slaughtering sheep and goats, or it's doing evangelistic courses and theology breakfasts. It doesn't matter what you're relying on. If it isn't Jesus, it's going to be ineffective. If we're looking at anything other than Jesus to win us favour with God, it will not work. We do not earn favour with God apart from Jesus. We don't earn favour with God. We have God's favour on us when we believe in the Lord Jesus wholly and fully. You can't make yourself more loved than you are in Christ. You cannot be more loved. Than you are in Christ. You cannot gain more favour with God. Than you have in Jesus. Now our works. The things that we do. That God commands. Should be an overflow. Of our love for Christ. But they're not a means of earning favour with God. You can't have more favour with God. If you love Jesus. And Jesus loves you. You have All of God's favour on you without fail. You know, when my children buy me a little present, it's not because they think I'll love them more if they do that. They just buy me a present because they love me, right? And that's lovely. And I don't love them more because they got me a little present. I mean, it's very nice. I'm very glad that they did. It's lovely. But I don't love them more because they did that. I'd love them the same if they didn't do that. I love them because they're my kids. Now in Christ, God loves us because we're his children. That's what we have to get our heads around. God loves us because we're his children. We're not more loved and we do not earn more favour because of the stuff that we do for him. Whether that is a sacrificial system or whether that is whatever we have Christianised and said that's the stuff Jesus wants us to do. His love and favour are on us as much as they ever could be because of Jesus. If we go hunting for his love, hunting for his merit, hunting for his favour, hunting for forgiveness in anything other than Jesus, even if it's stuff alongside Jesus it will not work because you cannot earn more favour with God than being in Christ just as my children cannot earn more love from me apart from just being my children we seek God's love and favour and approval in Christ and you are either totally and completely loved in Christ and can have no more favour upon you Or you are not favoured at all by Christ and you have no merit with him. They're the only two positions you can be in. Totally loved, totally favoured or with no merit and no favour. There is no in between. And it is not based on what you do for him. It is based on what he has done for you. So first we find favour with God only in Jesus. But secondly we can rest in Christ from law keeping. So if you look in verses 5 through to 10... The writer comments on the Old Testament text in a way that he's done before. So he quotes Psalm 40 verses 5 and 7. Then he comments on the text and then he draws out the implications for the Hebrew believers. And applying the psalm to himself here, Jesus recognised that God did not want him to sacrifice animals, but instead called him to offer his body on behalf of God's people. Uh, And the word therefore in verse 5 is pointing back to what the writer has just said. So the writer is arguing that since the blood of bulls and goats did not pay for sin, Jesus did not come to offer animal sacrifices, but instead to offer his body as a sacrifice for God's people. Uh, Now in Psalm 40, David is obviously not saying That God is unhappy with animal sacrifices. That's not what David is saying. Clearly God is happy with the animal sacrifices in the Old Covenant. Because he commanded them. So he's not unhappy with them in that sense. They're not against God's will in that regard. The point in the psalm is that God is not happy with mere animal sacrifices. The sacrifices were an outworking ...of a repentant and a contrite heart. That's the point of the psalm. They were the product of a life lived out before God. If I love God, effectively is what David's saying, if I love God, then I will do what he commands. That's really David's point in the psalm. And that's the point here in verse 8. God instituted the animal sacrifices in the Mosaic law. God was not unhappy that they were going on. Okay? Okay? But he didn't delight in them in the sense that they didn't atone for sin. They didn't deal with the issue of sin and were never intended to deal with the issue of sin. The old covenant sacrifices were a temporary measure to remind Israel they were sinners in need of a saviour. They didn't do anything to atone for sin. They pointed forward To when God would finally deal with sin through a greater and better sacrifice. The writer is saying the proof that there was a greater sacrifice to come. Is that David says God did not take pleasure in the animal sacrifices. That's the point. He didn't take pleasure in them in the sense that they didn't earn favour for the people. Then the writer makes a lot out of the order of this psalm. So the psalmist has said... God doesn't delight in sacrifices. And then if you look in verse 7, it says, Then I said, I have come to do your will. So the writer says, Jesus doing God's will comes after the law. That's his point. Jesus doing God's will comes after the law. So the law itself is fulfilled by Jesus' death. Specifically, the sacrificial system is fulfilled by Jesus. Jesus death here so he says if you look in verse 9 he takes away the first that is you know the old covenant law in its sacrificial system and establishes the second that's the new covenant in the blood of Jesus so Jesus has come takes away the old covenant and institutes a new covenant so why is Jesus sacrifice better well we've we've already seen earlier that the old covenant sacrifices didn't deal with sin. That was the issue with them. They weren't pleasing to God in that way because they didn't address sin. But verse 10, Jesus doing God's will means we have been sanctified. Now sanctified just means we've been washed clean and made holy. So Jesus doing God's will means we've been sanctified by Jesus' once-for-all sacrifice. So Jesus did God's will by offering his body as a sacrifice and fulfilling the purpose of the sacrificial system. He offered his sacrifice once for all to atone for sin. So he is the Davidic king that Psalm talks about who fulfills the old covenant. That is what the Psalm was pointing to. Now the point for the Hebrew believers is that it makes absolutely no sense for them to go back to the old covenant that has been abrogated by Jesus' sacrifice. It makes no sense to trust in what God has fulfilled and what God has replaced and to go back to what God always intended to be temporary. It makes no sense to return to what cannot deal with sin and to reject the sacrifice of Jesus that deals with sin once And for all. That doesn't make sense. Now, if the point is that the old covenant has been fulfilled, I think that has two big implications for us here this morning. Firstly, it changes how we understand the old covenant law. Jesus said, I have not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. So he didn't say there were bits of the law that we don't need to keep anymore. That's not what he said. He said he would keep all of the law on our behalf. That's what he meant. And having kept the law on our behalf and fulfilled the old covenant law, he then establishes a new covenant with new requirements. Which means we're not under the law of Moses anymore, are we? We are under the law of Christ. And so when it comes to reading the Old Testament, we don't understand it primarily as laws to which we are bound. That's not its primary function. Rather, we understand the Old Covenant as prophetically pointing to the coming of Christ. We understand the Old Testament in light of our standing in the Lord Jesus. Now, just as the Hebrew believers would not be saved if they went back to that old covenant, which was never intended to save. We, as new covenant believers, will end up bound by something that God never intended us to be bound by if we go back to the old covenant law. Now, we need to understand the old covenant in relation to the new covenant and understand its requirements upon us properly but second the more important point is that that should increase our confidence before God you think well how has that passing away done anything to increase my confidence well what it tells us is Jesus has perfectly fulfilled the old covenant law And so he has been the faithful covenant partner that Israel needed, that Israel weren't. But he's fulfilled it. Now, having kept the law perfectly on our behalf, Jesus now stands in our place and invites us to rest in him. Hebrews has already talked about resting in Christ, particularly rest from law keeping. We don't have to trust and rely on law keeping anymore, but we rest in Jesus' perfect life and death for us, on our behalf. The old covenant requirements are no longer force. That's what this is saying. Jesus has fulfilled them once and for all time. There is no more to be done. And if there's no more to be done by him or by us, then we can have total confidence that our salvation is complete and secure. There's no value to going back to law keeping because we can't do it properly. And it doesn't add anything to our justification in Christ. Instead, we say Christ is our life. Jesus is our righteousness. Jesus has fulfilled all that needs to be done for us. And that means we can just rest in his finished work. We can lay down our efforts, we can lay down our attempts to keep the law, and instead we can trust in his finished work on the cross. So we can rest in Christ from our law keeping. But thirdly, we trust in Jesus' completed work. So not only has Jesus fulfilled the law, but he has completed his work and it has been effective. So in verse 11, the writer points at the old covenant priests who are continuing to do their work, even though Jesus has brought that old covenant to an end. The old covenant priests are continuing to offer sacrifices year after year that cannot deal with sin and were never intended to deal with sin. But by contrast, if you look in verse 12, Jesus made one sacrifice and then he sat down at the right hand of God. He did God's will once for all, and then he sat down because his work was done. It was finished. So much so, if you look in verses 13 and 14, Jesus is now at the right hand of the Father, waiting for all his enemies to be put under his feet. So through his sacrifice, he has perfected all who believe in him already. And there is nothing more to be done. Now if we're relying on law keeping and relying on old covenant sacrifices well they need to keep being offered in order to sanctify us but Jesus we're told has sanctified those who believe in him through one sacrifice that does not need repeating. It was once and for all it was effective and it is complete. Now this fundamentally is why Jesus is better than anything else you might trust in. There is not a religion, a belief or a philosophy on the planet that does not expect you to do something in order to be morally righteous. Every religion under the sun, every philosophy, every belief system outside of Christ says do this and good stuff will follow. Even aberrations of the Christian gospel say, do this and good stuff will follow. The issue with that is there is never a time you can say, I have done enough. I've never met a Catholic or a Muslim or a Hindu or a Buddhist or a Sikh who was ever able to say, I know exactly what's going to happen to me when I die. With absolute certainty. It's always, I hope, I might, maybe I've done enough. Sometimes what they hope for doesn't even look like that much value at any rate, Uh, but even what they're hoping for, which is normally a lot less than what Jesus offers, it's never quite in the bag, is it? It's never quite there. It relies too heavily on them doing their bit and they can never quite know whether they've done it or not. But Jesus doesn't offer that sort of hope, does he? Jesus doesn't offer a maybe or a if I try hard enough sort of hope. That's not what's on offer here. Jesus offers a certain and sure hope. He promises us the great hope of heaven and an eternity with Him, and He guarantees it by offering the perfect sacrifice on the cross on our behalf. And then, more than that, He's gone and entered heaven Himself, and He sat down at the right hand of the Father, and He said, It is finished. It is done. There's nothing more for us to do. We don't need to sanctify ourselves. We don't need to wonder what might happen to me when I die. We can have absolute total security and certainty by believing in the Lord Jesus and in his sacrifice for us. Now, why then would we go and follow and think about trying to earn salvation by anything else? It's pointless. Why would we follow anything else? Why would we not press on with the Lord Jesus, who guarantees our salvation, not even asking us to do anything for it, but just by believing in him and what he has done? Why go to anything else? It's done. It's complete and it is effective. Fourthly, finally, uh, we can know the full forgiveness of our sin. Uh, the Hebrew believers might be tempted to say, well, this is some new teaching. You know, this, this is maybe some heresy that we've, we've never heard before. And so the writer points out in verses 15 to 17 that the Holy Spirit himself said all these same things through the old covenant prophets. And he says to the Hebrews, well, you want to go back to these prophets. You think these prophets are to be believed. Well, if the prophets are to be believed... Uh, then hear what they actually have to say. And the writer then quotes from Jeremiah 31. And Jeremiah, inspired by the Holy Spirit, tells the people that a time is coming when God will establish a new covenant. It's there in the old covenant. You know, the new covenant is going to change the hearts of God's people. They will have God's law written on their hearts and on their minds. Their desires will change and they're going to want to obey God's new covenant law. They won't just disobey the old covenant. They will want to obey the new covenant. But more than that, God promised not to remember the sins and the lawless deeds of his people. So God is going to choose to forget their sin it's important he doesn't forget them he chooses to forget them and if forgiveness has come through the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus under the new covenant what that means is there's no need for any further offerings you don't need bulls and goats but at the same time you don't need our discipleship programs and our evangelism and all of that either you don't need any of those things Sin has been dealt with fully and finally in Jesus' sacrifice. And the writer is showing that this new covenant is not novel, it's not a new heresy that the apostles have come up with. This was promised by God through the old covenant prophets. He says that this new covenant has been established in and through the death of the Lord Jesus Christ. It is now here and it is in force today. There is no sense then in the Hebrews returning to something that God has said was temporary, would pass away when Jesus offered his once for all sacrifice. The old covenant has gone and the new covenant is here. Now, we are faced with the reality that the only way then to God is through the Lord Jesus. If we renounce Jesus and we turn away from him, then there is no forgiveness of sin. It is only in Jesus that God says, I will remember their sins no more. In Christ, we can have full confidence that our sin has been dealt with now, there's an old hymn uh when peace like a river some of you might know it uh, and there's a line in that that says my sin all oh, the bliss of this glorious thought my sin not in part but the whole is nailed to the cross and i bear it no more praise the lord praise the lord oh my soul that's what he's talking about that is what we get in The Lord Jesus, our sin paid for, not in part, but the whole, the merit and favour of God, not in part, but the whole, not taken halfway, but you've got to do the rest, all of it. And you can have no more of it because you've got it as far as it could possibly be yours. Our sin paid for in full and knowing that our sin has been paid for. What results from that? What total peace? Peace with God. Peace in our hearts. Peace that we are fulfilling the purpose for which we were made to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. Now, this is a new covenant blessing. To know the Holy Spirit in our hearts. To know the full assurance of salvation. To know that we are right with God, not partly, but fully because of the Lord Jesus. The question for you this morning is, is that the Jesus that you trust in? Do you trust in a Jesus who has delivered a once for all sacrifice that has covered not part of your sin, but all of it? Do you trust in a Jesus that brings you not partial access to God, but full 24-7 access to God? Do you believe in a Jesus that says you don't have to keep working to earn favour with God, but now you are his child and he loves you and he can love you no more than he does today in the Lord Jesus? Is that the Jesus you follow? Is that the Jesus you trust in? And if it isn't, if you haven't put your trust in Jesus, well, you can have that kind of peace and assurance about your salvation today. You can know your sin is forgiven. All of it. You can know that you have an eternity in heaven with Jesus for sure. You can know that peace in your heart and you know it by turning from your sin and putting your trust firmly and fully in Jesus. will you trust in him this morning? Let me pray. Father God, we do want to thank you for sending the Lord Jesus into the world. We thank you that by his death, we can be made right with you. By his death, our sin will be paid for, not partially, but fully. Father, we thank you that in sending Jesus, we are no longer bound by the old covenant law. Uh, but we are instead uh, saved fully and totally by the person of Jesus. We thank you that we are loved children in Christ. We thank you that we don't have to work to earn your favour, but by our union with Jesus, we are made right with you. And so, Father, I pray that you would help each one of us here uh, to recognise that truth. If we haven't yet trusted in Jesus, Father, I pray this morning, people would make today the day they put their faith and their trust in him. Today would be the day they turn from their sin and receive eternal life. Uh, But, Father, if uh, we have trusted Jesus already, maybe we've followed him for many, many years, I pray that we would live in light of those truths. It's so easy to fall back on trying to earn favour, earn merit. So easy to fall back onto legalism and trusting in our works. Father, we pray that you would help us to reorient to Jesus. That we'd reorient to your gospel. We'd reorient to knowing that you love us in spite of ourselves. You love us not because of anything we do or don't do. You love us because of the Lord Jesus. Father, we pray we would live in light of that truth this morning. Because we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.